0: Hey there, and welcome to the One Church podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. If you'd like to know more about life at One Church, visit us online at weareone.church or check us out on social media. Really, really good to be here with you. Um, Today uh, is the last part, I believe, of the Revolution series. Um, Can you remember what topics you've had so far? Money? Slavery, race. Yeah, it's been um, a really good series when we're looking at the revolutionary words that Jesus spoke and how he was revolutionary in these huge areas, these huge topics, uh, because he was a revolutionary, wasn't he? And like his revolution is still going on today because of because of this room. Like we are experiencing and part of this revolution that Jesus started two thousand years ago. Uh, And like the topic that we're going to look at today is one of the most controversial at the time. Like it's one of the most contentious topics that Jesus uh, came against, and that is how he approached women. Um, and it so happens to be International Women's Day, which is funny. Um, so yeah, we're going to look at this topic of how Jesus um, approached women. A few weeks ago, I was went and did like a little tour of Israel, not whole of Israel, but like bits where Jesus lived and walked and it was amazing. Um, and part of the trip was four days of trekking. Like, I... I was not prepared for what I experienced. So I do no exercise anyway. Um, And I was like 20 minutes into the first date. So each day we were doing about like, between um, like 20K, what is that in miles? 16 miles a day for four days like it was intense and 20 minutes into the first day I was regretting my life choices I was out of breath like falling behind um but it was amazing to be able to just go and walk where Jesus did and see where like see places I've only read about Um, And we went to, on the first day, we got dropped off in a certain bit, like just in Nazareth, uh, and climbed up this hill, which is now known as Mount Precipice. Um, And it is like this really steep, I think we've got a picture of it, um, a really steep rocky cliff. Um, uh, So we climbed up the side, and um, this is where Jesus Uh, was like mobbed by an angry mob pushed to the edge of this cliff for them to throw him off because... Uh, One of the reasons being about a comment that he made about a Gentile widow using her as an example of a heroine of faith and an example to Jewish men of salvation. And they were furious like they got so angry that they pushed him to the edge of this thing, wanting to throw him off and kill him. uh, And like miraculously, he just walked his way through it. Um, but not everybody was happy about the revolution that Jesus was starting. Like, not everybody was okay with the traditions that he was changing, the mindsets that he was challenging. And ultimately, like the revolution that he started, and especially when it came to women and how they were treated, caused people to like, disown him and badmouth him and ultimately wanted him dead because of how controversial it was. And I think, so for us to understand that, We need to understand the context of the time and understand what was happening in the culture at the time, why it was such a big deal. Uh, And so what I'm going to do this morning, we're going to have a little bit of a history lesson. First thing, is that all right? Uh, My year nine history teacher would be so proud right now. Um, Because I think it's really important to understand the culture and context that Jesus was speaking into so that then when we read... Like when we read what he said and what he did, we understand how significant it is and how significant it is. And like it opens up a whole new depth to his interactions with people. Um, so ready for your history lesson. Yes. Uh, so during his lifetime, Jesus was combating three different cultures, like an amalgamation of three different cultures being Roman, Greek and Jewish, all of which had a negative view Of women. So if you take the Roman culture, for example, it was said that Romans took cities while the Greeks took mines. And Romans were just like conquering everywhere. Um, And a Roman husband had complete, absolute power over his wife. Uh, So much so that when a wife had a baby, she would present it to her husband. If he approved, the baby would live if he disapproved, the baby would be left to what was known as exposure. And exposure was where the baby would just be put in a clay jar or pot left on the side of the road to die or leave it to its fate. And what's cool about that, though, is that's when the Christians started rescuing babies and started setting up orphanages for these babies that were just being left to exposure, which is cool. Um, And so babies would be um, rejected by these husbands if they were illegitimate, unhealthy, if they were too much of a burden on the family, or if they were a girl. And um, there's a letter that was found in like dating back to 1 BC from a Roman man writing to his pregnant wife at the time. And this is um, the letter that he wrote to his wife. He said, I'm still in Alexandria. I beg and plead with you to take care of our little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. In the meantime, if good fortune to you, you give birth. If it's a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, expose it. And it shows just how casual like, the practice of exposure was, like, just how normal that was to them, how cheap life was, but especially like, how devalued the life of girls were. And there's so much I could say about this, but like, girls weren't even given their own first name. So like, Julius Caesar's daughter was called Julia, So they were just given a female version of their father's name. They weren't even like given their own name. They were so devalued in Roman culture. Uh, And in Greek culture, the same practice of exposure took place. uh, And in ancient Greece, like women were considered so inferior and subordinate to men so that they had no more rights than a slave. So they couldn't own their own property. They couldn't manage finances. Uh, They were only educated according to what they were deemed to know. Uh, And like, so you've got those two cultures. But you think that Jesus was obviously born into like a Jewish culture. So surely that was going to be better, wasn't it? And unfortunately not. (laughs) Um, Because if you like read in the Old Testament, like we see how God used women like, time and time again to like lead and like set Israel free like you read stories of like Esther Ruth Rahab Deborah these amazing women who are like commended for their character and their bravery and in the Old Testament we see how God didn't distinguish between like male and female when it came to leadership however between the Old Testament and the New Testament starting is a period of 400 years. And within those 400 years, the perspective of women, women took like a real downturn. And within those 400 years, teaching just started to emerge that uh, really lowered the perception of women. So like one, um, one rabbi, for example, during this time, so about 200 BC, uh, wrote a book uh, which was very humbly called, so his name was Ben Sirah, uh, and he very humbly called his book, the book of the all-virtuous wisdom of Ben Sirah. <laughs> yeah, I thought a lot of himself. Um, but this teaching was really prevalent at the time, uh, and in his book he advocated like distrust of women and really harsh treatment of slaves. Uh, And he wrote, uh, don't look upon anyone for beauty. Don't sit in the midst of women. For from garments come the moth. And from a woman comes woman's wickedness. And and, like, it was this kind of teaching that was coming out during that time. So in that period of 400 years, uh, Jews were hearing this stuff, reading this stuff. So that when Jesus came... Uh, Jews considered women to be so prone to sin and wickedness that they needed male headship. They needed a man to lead them, and they weren't allowed to be taught. They weren't allowed to be in the same room as men. They were marginalized and segregated. And even the prayer that Jewish men prayed every morning said, Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a woman. And it was, it was just prevalent in their thinking and their culture. And so Jesus arrives in this amalgamation of like toxic thinking and teaching and prejudice and discrimination and steps out to minister and lead and speak and start a revolution. And I think knowing that, knowing like that is just a glimpse of like how bad the culture was, uh, it gives like a whole new depth then to Jesus's interactions with women. So they're not just like stories that happen to involve women, but they are like deliberate barrier-breaking, countercultural, tradition-changing encounters where he is starting a revolution that esteems and elevates women. Uh, and so whenever we read a story like about Jesus in general, they are all handpicked and deliberately placed there for us to learn something about Jesus. Um, and especially so when it comes to Jesus's interactions with women. Like if you take, for example, the story of Mary and Martha. So like really well-known Sunday school story uh, that we can read really easily on surface level, but knowing the culture adds a whole new depth. So I'm going to read the story of Mary and Martha. I know a lot of you will know it. But in Luke 10, it says discovered it and it will not be taken away from her so without knowing like the context and the culture that can seem pretty harmless like pretty normal to us and uh, like 90% of the time when I've heard that story taught it's been about Martha's bad attitude and like about how she's been too busy she needs to be like more like Mary But when we understand a bit about the culture, actually what Jesus was doing and what was happening was so breaking social convention and so not normal. Because for example, first, Mary would have been sitting in the male occupied part of the house. Like Martha was not okay with that. Like her little sister was just breaking all of the rules. She was not okay with that. And secondly, where she was sat. So it said she was sat at Jesus's feet, listening to what was being taught. And like the Greek, this is a little nerdy thing, but like the Greek for like she was sat at his feet is the same as where Paul sat at the feet of his teacher Gamaliel and was learning to be a rabbi, was learning to be taught and discipled by him. So Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning and being taught and being discipled from her rabbi. And this would have been most probably like the first time this had ever happened that a woman had ever been taught in this way and jesus like when martha says to her jesus like tell her like come she needs to be doing what she's meant to be doing jesus was adamant this is not going to be taken away from her and he told martha like she's staying right here she's where she needs to be so jesus was doing something revolutionary in that moment he was setting a new Precedent, and there are so many stories that I could tell you. And I would love if I had time to like show you story after story after story of when Jesus interacted with women deliberately to break down barriers and like set a new path. Like, I'd love to be able to show you the story of the woman caught in adultery, how Jesus leveled the playing field. And made it not just about like women breaking the law of adultery, but it made the law apply to men as well. I'd love to be able to tell you about the woman with the alabaster jar when she came and broke it over Jesus' feet and wept at his feet. How he dignified her and elevated her and affirmed her in front of all the Jewish men, and then rebuked Simon the Pharisee for not doing what she did. Like I would love to be able to show you about the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. And how Jesus in that moment uh, broke through 500 years of hostility to be able to speak to a woman in that culture, which would have been unthinkable. But in a culture where women were not deemed worthy to be taught theology, he spends this entire conversation, the longest conversation recorded in the Gospels, teaching this woman theology and having this conversation with her about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And he spends more time with her than he does with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the religious leader at the time. And story after story, after story, after story, we see how Jesus broke social convention and he started a revolution to be able to elevate and esteem women at the time. Um, And I want to show you one story in particular, though. There's one story about a woman who had been crippled for 18 years. And um, her back was so bad that she, it says that she was like almost bent double and couldn't even lift her head. But she loved God, loved going into hear the word of God. So every Sunday, every Sabbath, she would go to the synagogue and sit at the back with the other women, like parted by a screen. The men would be in the front. And you can just imagine her sitting, listening to what was being said by the speaker in front. Uh, one day in particular, something unthinkable happened because the person who was speaking at the front spotted her and called her forward. And so like, most probably amidst like gasps and murmurings and whisperings, she moved forward from where all the women were sat, past all the men avoiding their judgy looks and their shocks. Uh, and she came and stood at the front, Uh, unable to even look at the person who'd called her forward. Uh, And in that moment, Jesus said to her, daughter, be healed. And he placed his hand on her shoulder, uh, which at the time, a man could have divorced a woman for being touched by another man in public. But he speaks to her in public, places his hand on her, and immediately she straightens up and her back is completely healed. And we read what happens in Luke chapter 13 what happens next uh was this says but the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that jesus had healed her on the sabbath day we can we can lose focus on what like the main thing can't we so easily we get caught up on stuff that isn't important and like miss out on the main thing uh there are six days of the week for working he said to the crowd come on those days to be healed not on the sabbath But the Lord replied, you hypocrites, each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water. This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? And so no doubt in that moment, in that church meeting, people would have been in uproar like they would have been furious that Jesus had cut across tradition and social norms and convention uh, and the synagogue leader protests about what Jesus has done but Jesus says something which is the most radical statement a Jewish man had ever said about a woman he calls the woman a daughter of Abraham you see it so he calls her a daughter of Abraham and prior to Jesus there is no record of anyone calling a woman this. So it was unheard of in Judaism because people, men uh, were called sons of Abraham, like sons of the promise, uh, but it was never said about a woman. But in this moment, this is probably the most powerful demonstration of how Jesus elevated women to the place of equality with men, saying that they were too Heirs of the promises of God, heirs of the plans of God, heirs of the purposes of God alongside men. And in one simple statement, he broke down every barrier, every grading structure, every difference. And he raised women to the same place of equality, how they were both deserving of God's grace, his plans, his promises. And Jesus has started a revolution of total equality um and alan hewitt who he came to our conference we are one a couple of years ago he's written an excellent book about this topic so if you want to read more his book is called the gender revolution by alan hewitt um and he talks about his own journey in it so he grew up in a time where women uh, and a church where women were not allowed to lead or minister at all. And he was very much for that. But he talks about how through studying the Bible, he's now like a passionate advocate of women in leadership. Um, But he says this, when it came to women, Jesus had no double standards. There were no exclusions and no limits on their destiny. How beautiful is that? And for me, like so reading his book and like studying this, this has just given me like a a whole new love for who Jesus is and how kind he is and how gracious he is and how good he is, because there are no double standards, and in a place where like this whole like half of the population was limited in terms of what they could do and what they could achieve and what their worth was he elevated and esteemed and broke through all of that which is amazing Um, and Jesus started this revolution of total equality it wasn't a revolution of feminism which says that women can do it alone we don't need men like that's not what Jesus did but he started a revolution of total equality that we are one together that together that is when we display like the image of God together that's when we see the church established, um, and this revolution demonstrated that the call of God is not determined by your gender. The call of God is not determined by your social status. The call of God on your life is not determined by your nationality, your race, your family background, but is determined by the grace of God. As Paul wrote, "There is neither Jew." Nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there is no grading system of which gender is better, which race is superior, which status is more important. But in Jesus, everyone is worthy to be chosen, to be loved, to be called, to be used, to be an heir of the promise. Nothing disqualifies you anymore Uh, and you think that 2,000 years later we'd have nailed that (laughs) Hmm. but like the sad thing is like still today like that we struggle and face with inequality, not just in gender, but in all of, in all of those categories, like we face inequality all the time. And like, there are, there are women who still in churches today aren't allowed to do anything because they're given a lesser role, less influence because people have taken like, especially the words of Paul completely out of context and have like diminished the role of women in church. Like still today, we have not got it sorted But like gender being one thing, broader than that, Jesus has completely wiped away every grading system. And we still struggle with that, don't we? Because I think of something, like we all have an unspoken grading system. Uggs for short. Um, And this may be news to you, but you have an unspoken grading system embedded within you. uh, And that grading system judges and measures uh, how qualified someone is. So uh, the unspoken grading system is used to judge and measure how good somebody is, how qualified they are. For example, when it comes to like being used by God, when it comes to the call of God, we look at somebody and we can judge how qualified they are to be used by God. So, for example, um, Holly, if you could, if I have you. Uh, Liam, if you could come stand here. James, if you can stand here. So, what our unspoken grading system does is we can look at somebody like Holly and think she has got it all together. Like the way she leads worship every Sunday, she's always so encouraging. She must be like all together on a Bible plan. She never struggles with anything. Her prayer life must just be perfect. She is qualified to be called by God, to be used by God. She deserves to be used by God mightily. And then we look at somebody like Liam. And um, Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. like, like no, not many people would know, but liams he's been struggling with some, with some things recently and like old habits are just coming to the surface again. And like, I'm, not, I'm not telling you this so you can gossip, but just so you can be praying <laughs> for him. Like, Liam's been struggling. So at the moment, I'm not really sure that God can really speak through him much. God really can. Probably not gonna use him much effectively at the moment just because of the things that he's going through. So we just need to pray for him and wait. And then you have people like James that think, There is no hope in heaven that Jesus is going to use him. Like Jesus doesn't even know what to do with him. Like it's just hopeless. He's not qualified whatsoever to be used by God. And it sounds horrific when we say that kind of thing out loud, but. It's what, like, if we're honest, it's what we can think because we can look at somebody's outside qualities and characteristics. We look at what they're struggling with or what they're not struggling with and we grade whether they are qualified to be used by God, to be called by God, to be effective for him. But Jesus leveled all of that and said, it's nothing to do with your gender. It's nothing to do with your character. It's nothing to do with your background, your ability, your goodness. It's nothing to do with how, much you pray or how much you don't pray like it's nothing to do with any of that uh, Jesus doesn't call the qualified but he qualifies the called yeah. He doesn't call you because you've got it all together. He doesn't use you because you are perfect. He doesn't use you because of your race, your background, your nationality, but he qualifies you because you are loved by him, because you are chosen by him, because you are called by him and known by him. You can sit down. James isn't really that bad, I promise. (laughs) But the thing is, that unspoken grading system doesn't just apply to other people. Like we don't just judge and measure and compare uh, with other people, but we apply that to ourselves as well. And we can disqualify ourselves because of how well or how not well we're doing. And we disqualify ourselves from the core of God. And so like there will be people here today who have disqualified themselves from like getting involved with making church happen because they don't feel adequate enough. Or there'll be people here today who have got a gift that God has given them, but because of mistakes that they've made in the past or because of doubt, they're disqualifying themselves. And there will be people here today who disqualify yourself because of your personality, your past, your upbringing, your doubts, or your weaknesses. But God doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the cord and because of the cross because of what Jesus has done he broke and leveled every barrier every grading system has been torn down and it is just by grace that we are saved it's by grace that we are called by grace that we are chosen by grace we are loved by grace we are used by grace we are effective by his grace Alone. And in that story of the woman um, who was healed, Jesus called this woman who was the least likely, the least known, the least deserving person, and he called her out of her obscurity into like visibility, called her out of loneliness and isolation into like community and family, called her out of hopelessness into like the promises of god and he does the same for us so when we disqualify ourselves and measure and compare ourselves he calls us out of our lack he calls us out of our weaknesses out of our mistakes he calls us out of our past and he dignifies us he graces us he empowers us and calls us heirs with christ jesus Like, how crazy is that? And so what I wanna do today is, um, I could talk for like the entire day on this. Um, But my prayer, like what I've really felt in praying for today um, has been, I just wanna pray for people who feel like they've been disqualifying themselves and for people like for whom this whole grading system is just like crazy out of control and you're constantly comparing and judging yourselves against others. So if you want to just close your eyes or bow your heads, whatever you want to do, um, I'm just gonna pray for us. So if you're, if you're here and you've been disqualifying yourself, maybe you just don't feel adequate you don't even feel worthy to be used by God to be called by him let alone be effective for him my encouragement is don't disqualify yourself if Jesus has qualified you who are you to disqualify yourself and if today you're struggling with that whole grading system and comparing yourselves again if Jesus has qualified someone else Who are you to disqualify them or judge yourself compared to them? He qualifies you because he calls you, because he's chosen you, because he loves you, because he has plans and purposes and promises for you. So Jesus, we thank you so much for the revolution that you started, like especially today, the revolution that you started with women, where you elevated and esteemed them. But Jesus, wider than that, we thank you for your revolution of total equality, where none of us are better or worse than others, but it is by sheer grace and kindness that we can boldly approach you. And I thank you that today, that none of us are disqualified from your call, from being loved by you, being chosen by you, being used by you. And I pray that you would continue to start, like continue that revolution in us. I pray that every grading system will be torn down. I pray that every grading system that we place on ourselves will be torn down in Jesus' name. And we would be set free to continue this revolution. I pray that this church will be known as a revolutionary place where you don't have to believe to belong, but you can come with your baggage and your past and your addictions and your struggles to find healing and forgiveness and love and kindness and I pray that this church will be known as one that loves the unqualified that uses the unqualified I pray that like podsmead in particular will be known as a church uh, where people are serving before anyone thinks they're ready like people are getting involved in church before anyone thinks they're qualified because you have chosen and appointed them and graced them I pray that it will be a place where people like the most unlovable people can come through these doors and receive kindness and grace and family and community in the name of Jesus. so we pray let the revolution continue in us and if you agree you can say amen 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 thank you church thank you amy